Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Bring, bring it back. Welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, everybody. My name is Thomas Boff. I'm the editor of wallsblog.com, website dedicated entirely to Wolverhampton Wanderers Football Club. Uh, if you'd like to check out the blog, it's obviously available at wallsblog.com, or you can get us on Twitter at wallsblog or on facebook.com forward slash wallsblog. Yeah, hi, I'm Jake, a Newcastle fan. You get me on Twitter at JakeJackWithSwift. Hi, everyone. I'm Jamie Smith, here to talk about Burnley. I edit the Known 11 newsletter, which is free and goes out via Substack every Monday. My personal Twitter is Jamie Smith Sport. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining me today, guys. Obviously, it is all happening in the Premier League at the moment, and we'll get to that in a second. But I figured we should probably start off by talking a little bit about the FA Cup. Liverpool end up winning on penalties against Chelsea. Kind of a trend now. And I was kind of curious, your thoughts on the match at large and why you think that these domestic cup finals so frequently go to extra time and or penalties? Yeah, I thought it was a good competitive game. Um Obviously disappointing that there were no goals across two hours of football. And that's the same in the, the League Cup final, I believe, between the same sides. It's quite remarkable those two sides have managed to play four hours of football, um, not really score any goals. Um, so, yeah, that, that's disappointing. But I suppose what you want in any Cup final is for, is for it to be a close game and, and feel like it could go either way at you know every point in the game. And you certainly thought that. You thought one of these teams... A different point looks like they might get the breakthrough and they didn't so it, it was a good one as to why so many go to penalties i suppose it, it's just the way the the you know the occasion perhaps coaxes out uh, a greater deal of concentration maybe and you know they they just do everything possible to to repel what the other team are doing and you know equally they find it harder to to go and impose themselves on another team it, it's just Teams raising their games, possibly, and just realising what's at stake. Um, and then maybe even if a team does get into lead, they get more nervous trying to hold on and the other team are you know, more desperate than they might be in a league game to, to try and push because they know there's a, a trophy at stake uh, based on the result of that game. But um, yeah, they all certainly tend to tend to go the distance these days. Um, just a shame, like I say, the only thing I'd say was a, was a downside. There wasn't a goal because that really possibly would have, would have set the game off uh, particularly if Chelsea got it, it would have been interesting to see if that Liverpool team without Salah and a couple of the other players it didn't look quite at the level they have been whether they'd have been able to come back but um, but yeah good cup final overall and um, you know Liverpool held their nerve in the shootout and were deserved winners Yeah it was strange that in both the cup finals there wasn't a goal because they weren't bad nil-nil so there was a lot of chances in both games it's just one of those things I think um, I think as the game went on yesterday, I think just tiredness meant that a goal was unlikely. Like I think at the end of the game, you had like Ross Barkley um, 
on the pitch, which, you know, I haven't seen him in about three months. So that sort of shows how how stretched both the squads were by the end. Uh, you know, Van Dijk and Salah went off injured. Chelsea had a few walking wounded as well. And at, at the last part of extra time, yeah, they, they all just looked absolutely shattered, um, which I guess opens an argument about whether extra time should happen or not. But yeah, I think, I think the, at the end of the season, the games like this against the top teams are just more likely to, to have a few goals purely because how tired the teams are. And, you know, you, you saw Mane and um, Mount and, and other players like that yesterday in the final third. They just didn't have that extra, you know, yard of pace or just that, that quick thinking that they had earlier in the season. They still felt a little bit uh, like, like it was on lag, the game. Um, but yeah, it, it was a good game. Um, and Chelsea must, you know, be feeling awful that the, the two cup finals went down to penalties against Liverpool and they didn't win either. Um, I think they had a, a similar thing in the, the Club World Cup a few seasons ago as well. So they just can't quite get it right against Liverpool in these cup finals. Um, at least they didn't bring on Kepa this time, so there wasn't that talking point. But yeah, it was a it was a good game. But I think it's, at the end, I think it's just tiredness that has meant there weren't many goals. Yeah, I was going to talk about the tiredness as well. I think you could really tell it with Liverpool in particular because they rely on physicality so much, the way they press. They just didn't seem to be really on it in the same way that they normally are. Um, and Chelsea, I feel like the um, all the off-the-field takeover stuff has really sort of caught up with them a bit in the last few weeks. They seem to ride it out at first, but I imagine all the uncertainty over what's going to happen next season, who's going to be in charge even, um, a lot of the players having their future sorted out elsewhere already or they're waiting for a contract offers. An awful lot going on off off the field at Chelsea, which has to be a distraction. Um, the only thing I'd really add to what the guys have said already is I think the timing of the FA Cup final now is is potentially a, a factor as well. The fact that it's before the end of the Premier League season, I absolutely hate it. I know that they've, they've tried various things with the cup to try and jazz it up a bit, but the cup final should always be at the end of the at the end of the Premier League season. What it means is that when you have it. At this stage, a week or so before the season finishes, it means that teams might be holding back for what they deem to be more important, which is the Premier League. Liverpool obviously still got the title to play for, even though it looks like Man City are going to close that out. Chelsea is still battling for the Champions League, which we're going to come on to as well. So it, it just means that you're not putting everything on the line. Um, and it doesn't have the same sort of showpiece ultimate cup final occasion, I don't think, as when it's the la- the last game in the season. Um, so yeah, I think that's that's the only extra thing I'd put in. I agree, it was it was a good game for a nil nil. That's the the sort of caveat I'd put in. I think if it had been <laughs> not nil nil, people wouldn't have said it was a great cup final. But for a cup final that was nil nil, it was all right. Um, Christian Pulisic probably should have won it for Chelsea. Liverpool had a few chances as well. Um, I felt like Liverpool were in control of the game, even though they, they didn't get the goal. They seemed quite happy to take its penalties, knowing that they'd won the League Cup final on penalties as well. Um, Chelsea as well. I think they've lost the last two Cup finals. They've lost five times in a row at Wembley. I think I read earlier today, so I don't know if that was a factor in them just not being able to get over the line, but Ultimately, I think it comes down to Liverpool are a far better team than Chelsea, even if they're second and third in the Premier League table. There's a big golfing class between the teams, and even if it wasn't reflected in the scoreline, I don't think anyone could argue that Liverpool have been deserved winners of both Cups this year. 
Yeah, and the fact that they have won both cups this year means that Klopp in his tenure has won six different trophies with Liverpool. And I'm sure everybody's seen all the Trent Alexander-Arnold things about completing football by the age of 24, which is just uh, pretty ridiculous. And obviously this is kind of a nebulous question, but wh- where do you think this Liverpool team fits in history, or, or at least this Klopp era of it? Um, I don't know, really. I mean, I think that there was certainly a great side. I don't like to sort of have that recency bias of just thinking that, you know, they're an awesome side of this era. Therefore, they're the, one of the best side that's ever been. Um, you know, I, and ultimately, they'll probably be judged on the on the trophies they win. Um, they're, they're certainly a great side. Um, they're, they're, there's not a lot of, at their best, there's certainly not a lot of weakness in, in that team. I'm struggling to see where they're coming up short in any department. Um, I think it's it's slightly come away a bit in the last couple of games. You know, you, you've noticed that they've a couple of key players have been out, and, it, and it's looked a bit more stringy. And they've been relying on the squad, um, but and yeah, I mean, I think I, I just think ultimately, sorry, I just think they need they, it's going to come down to whether they can do what Manchester United did in, in the nineties, and you know, the, the Chelsea sides and the Arsenal sides, where, where they've had their eras, whether they can win multiple league titles. Um, and, and go on and, and do something else. I know they've already got a Champions League in the bag and they've obviously FA Cup and League Cup, but it's 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 about creating a dynasty, really. If they want to be talked about in the, in the same realms as some of those other clubs, you know, in their respective eras where, where they were winning everything. Um, I think man for man, you know, in terms of a best 11 against all those teams, they've certainly got a case to say that they're as good, if not better, than a lot of the great teams um, but you know their legacy in you know 20, 30 years time will be determined what they do in the next two or three years probably before this side probably gets broken up because I think there are signs that that it's coming to an end with with Mane and Salah sort of you know the, there's contract issues ongoing. Um, it's always felt like maybe one of those will go. So can Klopp evolve the team? Certainly that they're, they're looking like they're, they're trying to do that with Diaz and, and Jota and people like that coming through. So maybe, you know, it, it'll come down to how successful they are in transitioning out the likes of Mane and Salah and, you know, a couple of the other key players and, and evolving it and turning it into, you know, a team that's been good now for four or five years to a team that can maybe go on and, and dominate for, you know, 10 plus years, like say, like Man United did in the 90s and Arsenal did for a period. So, um, yeah, it, it's certainly a crossroads, one of the best, but I don't think you'd, you'd make an argument to say they're the best just yet. Yeah, they're obviously a great team. I think what what makes it all the more impressive is that, you know, obviously a team like Liverpool always going to spend money, um, but they they seem to do it well. Like I don't, I can't really remember the last signing Liverpool made that hasn't improved them, or 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 been brought in for a purpose. Even the likes of Konate this year in the Champions League has been excellent. Simicast when he's come in for, for Robertson has done really well. Um, it just seems like everything is well thought out, and you compare that to, to Manchester United. Um, Arsenal and Tottenham in the last few years, maybe less so this year, but you know they they just spend a lot smarter, um, and they don't. The the owners there that they, they don't really they don't put loads and loads of money in. They they've got to sort of make that money back. You know they had that really good period where they could sell players on, um, like Jordan Ives to Bournemouth and stuff like that. That really started the 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 Klopp sort of push forward to the top of the league. But you can just tell that they're a really well coached team. But they've signed players for a reason. It's just a it's a really well-run football club and, and it's resulted in a team that is pushing Manchester City who, when Pep first came, everybody thought that he would sort of dominate 
English and European football and you look at the, the, the Premier League titles and, and he has really but Liverpool have been right there alongside uh, Manchester City for the last few years last year was obviously a bit of a down year but there's reasons for that but they're, they're right back at it this year um, and if they win if they you know manage to, to win the Premier League this year even though it looks unlikely that would, uh, and then follow up with the Champions League that would be a season that we've, we've never seen before in this in this country, even even if they don't win the Premier League, it's still a season we've never really seen before. Um, to com- to play every single match it, that that you could possibly play in a league season, it, it, it is ridiculous. Um, and yeah, they, they are at the peak of their powers now. I think the the tougher thing now, I think they've got a lot of players coming to that sort of 28, 29, 30 bracket. And I think that they if if they keep sort of building the team as they are at the moment, sort of bringing in one or two players each year, I just don't think it's going to be enough to to completely turn that transition over and maintain their place at the top of the league. Um, I think that, yeah, it's, I feel like clock time in the new contract is a great thing for them, but it's going to be so difficult to to maintain this level over the next few years. But they, they are probably one of the best teams we've seen in the, it, definitely in the last 20 years. Um it's just the way they're so dominant in Europe as well. Is it? Is it three Champions League finals now? Four Champions League finals? It's, it's ridiculous that, that the how how well they've competed in that competition. Um, because we've seen how Pepper struggled in it with City and City. You know, we're talking about Liverpool now, but City are just as good, if not better, uh, than Liverpool over over the same period. To to, to win the amount of Premier League titles they have done is is a remarkable battle consistency, but. They haven't done it in the Champions League, and yet Liverpool have. So um, I just think Liverpool's sort of emotional way of playing this suits competitions a little bit better than City. But um, yeah, they're both incredible teams, and as long as these two teams are uh, and these two managers are at the Liverpool at the level they are, it's, it's very very difficult for any other team in the Premier League to compete. Yeah, I think if you were comparing directly with Liverpool teams, it's probably hard to see past the team of the 80s that was so dominant um, domestically around that time. I think mean, a lot of what the guys have said is right. I think you've got to put it into context as well. And Jake's right, they're competing with Manchester City, who are arguably the, the greatest team of the Premier League era. I, I don't think that's a stretch to say that. They're looking like they're going to win four in five, the set points record totals, goals record titles totals have smashed any record you could think to name played some of the most incredible football we've ever seen, taking it to an art form um, and the rivalry between City and Liverpool and Klopp and Guardiola has been what's made the Premier League over the last few years it's, it's really been the Klopp and Guardiola era um, but then Jake's right, in Europe Liverpool have had the edge and try and think about why that is the case we've got players who more suitable to turning up for these really big one-off occasions, whereas City are more in the, the Guardiola image and it's more system-based, uh, as Liverpool are a bit more reliant on the individual brilliance of Mane and Salah. Um, does that give them the edge in cup competitions? I don't know. I think it's difficult to say. I think I agree in that it depends how they finish this season, how they'll be judged in history. If they were to somehow win the quadruple, then that's obviously a historic achievement um, up there with what any team has done anywhere ever, really. Um, but I think it's it's a remote chance that they'll do that now that City pretty much got one hand on the trophy. Um, and I think the, the lads are right to say it's going to be interesting to see how they can refresh that team. 
I think one thing that they perhaps lack is that little bit of local. Um, if they had like a core of young talent who'd come through, like Liverpool players, obviously there's Alexander Arnold, who we maybe take for granted because he's he's been in the team since he was 19, really nice. So he's, he's almost a, a stalwart who's been ever-present for the last few seasons. But if they can bring through players like Curtis Jones, who's obviously another another local lad who's been in and around the team without really making a place his own. Someone like Harvey Elliott, okay, they've bought him in rather than him being from their academy. But if they had this sort of core youth that can come through into the team and then reshape the identity so that it's not not so reliant on Mo Salah, which I think they are at times. I think we've seen the last few weeks um, since really the World Cup qualifiers and the, the African nations, Salah's not really been himself. Um, so I think if they can reduce the reliance on Salah, especially given the, the contract stuff in the background that's been mentioned already, then that would help them build this sort of dynasty that would really help to guarantee that this Liverpool team can go down in, in history as one of the greatest of all time. Because at the moment, people will look up back at this era and it looks like it's going to be Man City winning four of the five titles and, and just one for Liverpool. And I don't think that would be really... Is it a fair reflection of, of how good Liverpool have been over this era? I don't know if it is. The league is obviously the ultimate challenge. You've got to be consistent over the whole campaign. You can't have a, a bad week like Liverpool did around Christmas and essentially cost them the title, it looks like. So, yeah, I think it could all be different in two weeks if they win the Champions League title. If City fall apart somehow and Liverpool snaps the league, then certainly right up there with the greatest ever. But I think in context, you've got to remember that this City team are, are almost unbeatable as well, domestically at least. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point, Jamie, because I think it's very easy to to see what's going on right now. And like like I said, six different trophies. And as Jake mentioned, the success in Europe. But uh, <laughs> it's crazy that they might have not even been the best team in their own league <laughs> over that period of time, which is absolutely wild. Uh, as we all alluded to, to Pep and City's dominance domestically. But yeah, you do have to give them credit outside of it. So I think, Jamie, when you say looking at their league record, is it a bit harsher than, you know, does it not speak to how good they were over this period? But I think that's the difference is to see how good they were over this period. You kind of have to look outside the Premier League and for City, you kind of have to exclusively look within it. But yeah, obviously they have been absolutely terrific and it could go down to the final day. Top four could go down to the final day. The relegation race is going to the final day. It's a pr- pretty good season. Whoever's running this thing has to be pretty pleased with all those things still going on. Uh, another thing that hasn't actually been sorted yet uh, is Chelsea's fate, who, of course, were on the other side of that final loss, which I, I think Jake was right. I think it's three straight for them losing in the FA Cup final, which is obviously a bit brutal. Uh, you'd imagine that, you know, with, with the points lead that they have, that they're pretty much guaranteed third, if not just the Champions League place. But if they lost two off of this, and Jamie, you're not wrong, it's very weird that the final has already happened. But if they lost two and the North London clubs went out, they would literally jump them and Chelsea would fall to fifth. Um, do you think that the loss was tough enough to cause that kind of utter collapse? And, and do you think anybody could really catch up to them for fourth, third, or or maybe they just fall to fourth and still get that Champions League spot. But I was just curious where you think they're at as a club at the moment and if something that catastrophic could really happen. I don't think things are great at Chelsea. 
uh, at the moment. They hadn't been, you know, coming to that cup final on great form. Maybe they just had one eye on that and all the players were thinking they wanted to be involved and that was, you know, the big push. Um, but, I mean, I'd be very surprised if they didn't make the top four. I think, they, I think I'm right in saying because of their goal difference, they probably need a point for the top four um, and two points to guarantee third. That's basically it, isn't it? Because... Um, because their goal difference is so far superior to the other two. And uh, you know, they got Wofford at home on the last day and that's that should be a that should be a win, shouldn't it, really? Um Leicester Leicester is is tough. They've they've picked up the last couple of games. They can still pip Wolves to eighth place. Um, you know, so that 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 will be they've got something maybe maybe to play for Leicester and they obviously talked a lot about wanting to finish their own season strong. Um, so maybe Leicester could cause them a problem, but I mean, even if the worst happened against Leicester, I'd still back them to go and get the job done against Watford. And they've got a squad of players that they can freshen up. I know they've got a, you know one or two problems injury-wise, but they can still freshen up, bring in three or four players who, who didn't play a, you know the lion's share of that cup final. And I, I would expect them to get get across the line, um, you know, by at least getting getting the win against Watford. I think you know my. Worst case scenario for them would probably be defeat to Leicester and maybe a draw against Watford. I can't see it getting much worse than that. Um, but yeah, clearly it's a summer of change ahead at Chelsea as well because of the because of the you know the change in ownership, the list of players going. I mean, Christensen and Rudiger have both gone. I think haven't they already? Um, that the Aspilicueta supposedly going. Alonso's talking about going. So they, they, they haven't really got what seems like a. Like a solid nucleus of, of a squad and that defensive backbone that Chelsea have for so long been been synonymous with. It was always tough to score goals against Chelsea. Um, that that's something that they're going to obviously have to completely rebuild now around a, an aging Thiago Silva, who's basically been the linchpin for them, you know, this season largely. So yeah, it, it's an interesting one at Chelsea. Um, you know, I think if if the season had been maybe four or five games longer than that top four place might have been in jeopardy. But I just think they've done enough of the work already. And then obviously new owner, you know, Champions League football probably. They've, they've got some issues to sort in the summer, you know, around those defensive players we've talked about and, and Lukaku as well. That's a big one. They need to decide what they're going to do with him, whether he's going to get offloaded and uh, replaced or, or whether they're going to try and persevere with him. But um, yeah, they're, they're, they're one of the teams to watch and see. I, I, my suspicion is that there are probably some more challenging times ahead for Chelsea. Yeah, I, I can't see um, them finished outside the top four. As Thomas said, they've got Watford on the final day, so that should be a, a routine win. And I'm pretty sure that they, they'll beat Leicester as well. I think Leicester were good today. Uh, but they still conceded quite a few chances against Watford and and against a better team, they would have probably conceded more. So I think that Chelsea, even though they are having problems, I think they'll finish the season strongly with two wins. Um, now they don't have, you know, they've got nothing else to focus on. I think that Tuchel is a is a coach that will still demand high standards. I just think they're playing two teams that sort of suit the way they play uh, and they, there will be space in behind and there will be chances given against both teams and Chelsea have the quality to take them. So, yeah, I, th- I think there might be goals for Watford and Leicester too, but I think that, that Chelsea will, will ultimately have enough. Um, so, yeah, I think that the, the, the race for the top four is still really between Arsenal and Tottenham. I don't think Chelsea are, are in any danger of dropping out. I think even, as Thomas said, if the worst thing, if the worst co- comes to the worst, if it goes down to the final day, they, they're probably going to, they, you know, they're more than good enough to beat Watford on a bad day. Um 
even a draw against Wolford would be enough. Yeah, they, they, they're not going to be worrying about that. They'll be fine. Um, and yeah, it has been a poor second half of the season, um, especially in the last two or three months. I think, I think Jamie was right in, in saying that the, the off-field stuff has, has taken its toll. Um, but I think that yeah, that they'll be they'll be absolutely absolutely fine when it comes to top four, and then they'll go into the summer with with a huge restructure going on from top to bottom. They're going to have a new owner. They're going they might they might have a new head coach. We don't know what's going to happen there. Um, they might have they, they're going to have to get a lot of new players because they're losing Rudiger and Christensen and possibly Aspilicueta on a free. So yeah, it's, it's going to be tough um, for Chelsea to sort of get back up and challenge Manchester City and and. Liverpool in the short term. I know a lot of people thought they might do it this year, but ultimately they've fallen a long way short, and and they've got a, a a lot of a lot of work to do. And it'll be interesting to see if they can keep going through these patches of of winning major trophies like they did on with Abramovich as the owner, or, or if they're just going to fall away and sort of go back to the level of 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 Arsenal and Tottenham and and maybe you know Manchester United too, and just trying to finish in that top four. Um, it will be interesting to see if there's a if there's a change in 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 the way that that they they aim for things at the start of the season. But yeah, I don't think they'll they'll fall out the top four. No, I think um, they're almost the lock. I mean, depends when people are listening to this as well. Arsenal obviously played Monday night, but if Arsenal were to lose to Newcastle, then it's it's already done, isn't it? So um i think a lot of things have to go wrong for chelsea including the other two teams winning the rest of their games which isn't a given um given how arsenal have a tendency to be spursy and spurs have a even more tendency to be spursy <laughs> given that's where spursy comes from um as spursy as arsenal have been this season at times spurs are still the spursiest team out there <laughs> yeah i think it's it's been strange for chelsea because they've been these fine margins that define seasons maybe just not been on their side this time. They obviously had a really good run in the Champions League and got Real madrid by Real Madrid, which can happen to anyone because it's Real Madrid in the Champions League. It's just what they do. Um, and then two cup finals, losing on penalties. That's a bit of bad luck and a bit of just the other team being better at penalties. So things could have gone slightly different in a few big games and Chelsea could have been looking at a, a, a historically good season the, the like of that we've been talking about for Liverpool so yeah it's been a strange one like I said earlier I do think the off-field stuff's been been a big distraction we've obviously already seen Rudiger going to Real Madrid seems like that's happened some of the other lads seem to have got their moves wrapped up already um, I don't like questioning the commitment of players but you do have to wonder if there is a bit of a difference with some of the guys who are who are leaving. Some of the other players maybe think they're going to try and move on in the summer. It's completely different when you've got a long-term contract at a club and you know your future's secure and you know it's going to be the same manager and you've got that sort of stability. So I think it's going to be a real summer of upheaval for, for Chelsea, like Jake says, potentially a new manager. We don't know what's going to happen with Thomas Tuchel. I'm sure there'll be a lot of clubs wondering if this is a, a good moment to try and tempt him away with more stability or more money to spend or whatever it is. Um, but Chelsea just always seem to, to find a way through these crisis situations. 
seem to change the manager every two years. It doesn't make any difference who's in charge. Player power has been a thing at Chelsea for, for as long as I can remember with John Terry and Cesc Fabregas and the rats and the snakes and whoever it is at that time just seems to run that dressing room anyway. So I don't know how much impact the head coach has, but yeah, I agree. I think Chelsea's grip on Champions League place is, is very, very secure because... Watford at home on the last day, you couldn't really ask for a better fixture than that, could you? I wish we were playing Watford at home on the last day. <laughs> um, even if we didn't beat them at home earlier in the season, I think that would be quite a nice game to finish on. Gotcha, yeah. And I don't mind admitting that when I first wrote this, I didn't recognize that Chelsea had the two matches left, <laughs> which made the math a lot more compelling. But uh, yeah, I, I think you guys are right. It, it, Chelsea are, are in a rough place right now. The, the look of Lukaku basically any time he showed on TV is pretty uh, pretty rough. But yeah, you'd imagine, I think it was Jake that said that they've, they've largely already done their work. And now it's just uh, don't trip over the final two hurdles. And as you say, Jamie, that Watford one, in theory, one that they shouldn't. I wanted to wrap up this section with a, a brief apology to Jamie, which was the uh, kind of shocking call that happened in Tottenham's match. And then another interesting decision happened in Everton's where there seemed to be a foul in the box on Richarlison right before Brentford scored at the other end of the pitch. And I was curious, you guys, what do you make of these decisions that could prove to have a, a definitive impact on a club's Premier League status? Obviously, there are decisions made in September that have just as much impact, but these are the ones that draw all the attention. I was wondering if there's anything that the Premier League could do to mitigate decisions like this, especially given that this year, especially they've been coming out and, and saying when calls were wrong. So if they came out and they said either of those decisions were wrong and as a result, either of those clubs go down, do you have any ideas on, on what the Premier League could do to at least somewhat mitigate how damaging that could be? Um, well, I'll start by throwing a stick of dynamite in there, Kev, and say that uh, I may have seen it differently because I was kind of had one eye on the screen in the pub, but it looked like an absolute nailed on penalty. So what? What? You can't why... have your arm out there, but I'm I'm still not a hundred percent sure it actually hit his arm. Oh, okay, right. So the, the the debate is whether it hit his arm. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Well, I mean, I just took that for granted. I kind of saw the replay. His arm was out there, and the way they were showing the replay seemed to indicate it spooned off his arm. Um, you know, and, and it was a it was an absolute nailed on penalty, and then they were looking to see if Son was offside. I think from the corner to to make sure that. So they they seem to be doing their due diligence with with the replays. Um, it's very hard to tell whether it's definitively hit his arm. I suppose but it looked like the ball kind of deflected up after after it, it hit something. But I mean, you're dicing with you're dicing with death if you put your arm out there like that. You dangle it out there and. You know, I, I wasn't surprised that that one was given one eye out. It wasn't one of those, I've got to be honest. I mean, I've got no, no stake in the game. I don't care whether Tottenham win or, or Burnley lose, whatever. But in my just, you know, perfectly neutral view was it looked like a penalty in the correct decision. But, you know, I'm sure Jamie will have a, have a view on that. Um, in terms of the general, the general state of play with decisions, you know, referees have always got these things wrong. The thing that makes it perhaps more frustrating now is that they have the benefit of, of technology. Um, so you feel like it, it's doubly wrong that they don't reach the correct conclusion. You know, there was the the penalty Everton should have had against Man City where, where they showed multiple replays and it just kept showing the most clear, obvious handball and they didn't give it. Um, I mean, the most obvious one in, in recent times that's been the most costly was the... Um, the Sheffield United one at Villa Park, where the ball clearly crossed the line. Oh, yeah, and really Hawkeye important... failed for the first time. 
Exactly, but what was doubly embarrassing, as I see it, that the referees in the VAR suite couldn't just get their act together to look at a replay and clearly see that the ball had crossed the line, communicate that to the referee and, and award the goal because, you know, it just shows a crippling lack of common sense. Um, and the thing I still don't get about the, the VAR, that is a prime example of where we should be able to hear the, the rationale of the decisions. Why can't we hear that? You know, why can't we, if they're showing it on the TV, why can't we, you know, these people at Stockley Park are communicating with the referees? I hate this. I hate the fact that there's no transparency with the referees. And if you could kind of understand how they're reaching the decisions that they're making, even if you disagree, sometimes the logic will at least make sense. But it always feels like it's kind of covered up because of their ineptitude. And you just feel that they're just going to be saying stupid things and they're just protecting themselves. But you know, I, I just think there's, what can you do? I mean, referees have always, like I say, made bad decisions. VAR hasn't changed anything in that respect. Teams will always feel that they've been hard done by and teams will sometimes feel they got the, the benefit of a, you know, marginal decision. It is what it is and that's just football. But um, yeah, I, I would agree that it is, it is painful when you, you think, you know, they stop the game for these prolonged periods and then reach what you think is, is the incorrect uh, decision. But that's, that's just one of the things that we're going to have to live with. Some of these calls are a little bit subjective um, and there's definitely a lot of inconsistency, but um, I'm not really sure what could be done to, to comp- you know, these calls at the end of the season are big and they could decide, um, you know, Champions League, the title, relegation. But the whole, it wasn't that the whole point of VAR being brought in was to try and try and make sure that the right decision was got to, to, to prevent these decisions costing the club. Um you know, their ultimate aim. So I, I don't really know what more could be done. Um, there's obviously just a poor level of officiating in this country. Um, hopefully the the outgoings of a few of the, the more senior referees at the end of the season will mean that, that there is improvement uh, next year. But, you know, the referees down in the Championship and League One and League Two uh, fans and support those clubs to say that the, the refs lower down the pyramid aren't much better. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it is difficult. Um, but... I think you could speak to fans of any club this year and they'll say that, that they didn't get a VAR decision or, you know, mm. something cost them. I think everybody has their complaints. And just because there's something happening now, it doesn't, does that, is that more relevant than something that happens, you know, in, in the first or second game of the season? Um, you know, all points are worth the same. So it is difficult. Um, I think the two decisions today, you could sort of, you could sort of see why they were given. Um, same with, in the week and um, with the the Arsenal um, with the Tottenham penalty uh, you know it was, a, it was soft but you could see why it was given um, yeah the Burnley one was just very very unfortunate you got to have your arm somewhere it was it, it was really unlucky but if it does hit the arm and, and that's what the, the referees have ultimately judged and it, it is a penalty by the letter of the law um, but yeah tough but I don't really know if, if anything could be done sadly Yeah I don't think there's any perfect solution to evening out these decisions and people might be listening thinking well it does even out over the course of the season but I'm telling you as a Burnley fan we certainly don't seem to get these sort of marginal penalty decisions um, um, maybe if we got in the opposition penalty area a bit more then we'd get more penalties but it certainly feels like we don't get the same rub of the green when it comes to these decisions. Um, 
the problem I have with with VAR, um, and I'm sure we've, we've done like VAR is bad on on the show time and time again. So I don't want to go over and over and over. But as soon as you start showing things in frame by frame slow motion, you're just taking it out of context of what actually happened. So if you watch the the Burnley penalty today in full speed, it's quite obvious that the ball's pinging around the box. Barnes is sort of half wrestling with the opposition guy who's sort of pushed him a little bit. And the way he's pushed him, Barnes is sort of balancing out and his arm is out because he's trying to stay on his feet for once. And then the ball sort of brushes off it. It's one of those where it's, it's not anything that's stopped a goal from happening. It's not a foul that's prevented someone from getting the ball and scoring a goal. It's it's the sort of thing that for me shouldn't be a penalty, but it's, it's right to say the letter of the law, it is a penalty. It's just the law on handballs at the moment is a complete mess. Um, Which is a reaction a to it previously being a mess, and now it's just a different well, kind of exactly. mess. It, I think it was bad last season, and everyone seems to think that they've made it better this season, but you're still getting these sort of nonsense penalties that I don't think anyone thinks should be a penalty, really. Um because you've just got a situation where if you're an attacker and you see a defender's got their arm out for whatever reason, just kick the ball at his arm and you'll get a penalty for it. It's, it's just, it, it just seems to be a bit of a nonsense to me. Um, and there's a lot of Burnley fans saying that the, the league's corrupt and they're trying to get rid of Burnley because they want Everton or Leeds in the Premier League instead because they're bigger clubs and they've got more fans and more money and stuff. I don't know if I agree with that, but it certainly does feel like today's decision if it had been at the other end and a Spurs defender had had his arm out and the ball brushed against the sleeve on its way up into the air. I don't think Burnley would have been getting a penalty for it. It's, you always tell from the reaction of the players to me and like Barnes was just baffled that it was a penalty. I think one Spurs player had appealed for for a penalty but yeah, there was just no like, who kicked it. Yeah, there was no there was no big uproar against it. Play had continued for two minutes. Harry Kane and Mr. Sitter, they were about to go off half time and it's like, no, actually we're gonna give him a penalty instead. It's just a really strange set of affairs. Um and all you can say as a Burnley supporter is that you hope it doesn't come down to that and that it's not one goal or one point that, that ultimately makes a difference. But you can look back over the season and I think all, all fans of all clubs can probably point to, to moments where decisions have gone against them or looks not been on their side. It's just particularly egregious when Burnley have had such an excellent performance today. Spurs at that time seem to be out of ideas. Turns out the, the best way to score a goal these days is just kick the ball in the air and hope that it's up to an arm. Well, not to get too much in trouble, but uh, that decision has gone against us before in a Champions League final. <laughs> but <laughs> we'll leave that there, take a quick break, and then we'll be back with club-specific questions for each of our guests. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Get up to 30% off wedding jewelry at bluenile.com. And remember the joy of your wedding day forever. 
Blue Nile offers everything from diamond and lab-grown diamond wedding bands to classic pearls, earrings you can design yourself, even gorgeous sapphire pieces for your something blue. Whatever you choose, Blue Nile's pieces are all graded for excellence, for a lasting memento as brilliant as the love that inspired it. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. All right, and we are back. Thomas, we'll start off with you talking Wolves. Last time you were on, we were talking about how you had a chance to pip uh, West Ham and get into the top six, get get a guaranteed European spot. That doesn't really look like the case now, uh, as it, it looks like mathematically you'll finish somewhere between 8th and 10th, depending on your and other results. And I was just curious what you made of the, of the last few matches and, and potentially missing out on Europe because of it. Been bad, Kev. Been really bad. Been relegation form since uh, what end of February March. It's, been, it's just been bad. Um, wheels have just come off, you know. But at the start of the season, if you if you'd said we'd finish where we are now, then I would have been very happy with that. Um, we were obviously transitioning out of Nuno to Bruno, and um, you know there was a lot of uncertainty around, around the squad. We didn't really invest big in the summer, so I think we've done. I'm I'm happy overall over the 38 games. Well, still got one to go, obviously. Liverpool, unfortunately, um, but uh, you know, viewed as a whole, the season's still been good. But we, it has been bad the last two months, and that should serve as a warning sign to the club that we need to make some big moves in the summer. There's a lot of senior players out of out of contract. Uh, you know, it's a big big summer ahead. What what's really scuppered us though the, the last few months have just been a couple of injuries. Max Kilman, who's been a colossus for us at the back, he's been out injured. Pedenz hasn't had a run of games. Neves missed quite a few. So I think that you know right down the spine of the team, we just haven't had that consistency. And once we lost that defensive resilience, you know we haven't got anything. You know it's been well publicised. We don't score any goals. Um, so if you if you're conceding goals left, right, and centre, and you don't score any, you're going to get the results that we've been getting. Um, so very much deserved. I, I do think if we finish eighth, which is where we've been for months now, it's probably you know papers over the cracks. We're probably a mid-table team. It's probably been a mid-table season, really. It's just a case that how the points have been distributed, um, which is a shame because in January, February, we looked like you know we could we could really make a push for even the top four if we if we carried on, but. It was all about keeping everyone fit, and you know we just we just lost that momentum. So um, no complaints really. No decisions have cost us. Just just poor play really. Gotcha. Well, my follow up was going to be what your reaction would have been if you were guaranteed top ten at the start of the year, as you are now mathematically. Seems like just generally pleased. So I guess I'll just result to a far more basic question, which is if you had to give this kind of an A to F grade, how would you rate the season? Well, again, you've got recency bias. I mean, there's so many Wolves fans now who absolutely, you know, they want to throw themselves out of a tall building. It's um, but it's because it's been bad for a couple of months. You know, we, we've been getting some taking some heavy defeats and some pretty stodgy performances. So uh, you've got to kind of dismiss that, I think. I I, I think we've, we've done better. If you'd said to me we were going to finish in the top half of the table, I would have said that's going to, you can't be lower than a B. Uh, so I think I'll probably go with that because we have had some really good moments over over a season, you know. And that that ultimately, what are you playing for? You know, if you're not one of the mega clubs, you know, you, you can kind of hope that you'll you'll get towards Europe. And okay, we challenge for that for a good portion of the season, so that was pretty good. Uh, what's been disappointing for me is our inability to do anything either with the domestic cup competitions because I would have liked to have seen us have a run there. 
Um, but we, we couldn't do that. So that, that was bad because ultimately what we're trying to do is get as close to the top six as possible, potentially win one of the domestic cups or at least get to a final at least and get some you know good performances and get some big results. And we have had some good results this season. You know, I've never seen us win at Old Trafford. We did that, uh, beat Tottenham away, beat Villa, local derby in both games. So it's generally been quite good. Um, so I don't want to, what's happened in the last month or two to sour everything completely. So I'd probably go somewhere between a B and a B minus, I think. Gotcha. Well, yeah, maybe maybe you were hoping for a little bit better, but with the brand new manager, top 10 has to feel pretty comfy, all things told. Uh, Jake, coming to you now to talk about Newcastle. Uh, you're probably aware of this by now, but basically the fates of five different clubs rest on how hard <laughs> Newcastle play for the rest of the season. Obviously a rough loss against City, and you're playing tomorrow or today, as the listeners may hear it. Um, so I was just curious your thoughts on, on the latest performance and if it means anything for how you're going to perform in these final two weeks, or if you think it's kind of an on-the-beach situation already. Um. I don't know about on the beach. I think that we played okay against City, or we played a lot better against City than we did against Liverpool. Um, but the, the, the score lines are just completely different, um, and and would make you think the opposite. But no, we we created a few chances at City last week. If Chris Wood scores, what is a pretty basic header? Um, we go one nil up. Um, Callum Wilson had a couple of chances when he came on. So yeah, it's just it was just one of those days where City just would just on one, and every time they got, they would. Just, Creating so many clear cut chances that they were inevitable. They, they, they scored so many goals, similar against Wolves. Uh, and Thomas was, was agreed to that on, during the week. It, it just, you can't, they, on their day, they can just put a four or five pass quite easily. Um, but yeah, I, I think we're going to, I don't think we're on the beach. I don't, I think, I'd be surprised if we lost both matches. Um, I just, it would, it would be strange because. We have struggled in the, against the better teams under Eddie Howe, but we've we've regularly picked up points. Like we haven't been on long losing runs, um, and I don't think he's the type of. And, and a lot of these players are playing for their futures. Um, I don't think many many players are guaranteed of a of a first team place next season, and I think that's enough motivation, or or at least I'd hope it would be to to perform in these matches. Um, we've got Callum Wilson and Trippier coming back. I don't think they're, you know, those are two. Players with winning mentalities, they, they demand the most when they're on the pitch. Callum Wilson will want to score goals after such a long absence. And Kieran Trippier, he's a you know he's played for Atletico Madrid for last season. He's not gonna he's not gonna accept just going through the motions. Um, we saw that last week against City when I think it was five 0 and Saint Maximan was sort of rolling around on the floor. Kieran Trippier went over, picked him up, sort of. We're saying we're going to get on with this, and he's you know we're we're not going to roll over for Arsenal, and we're not going to be an easy game for Burnley on the last day of the season. It 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 could be that the extra five percent of having something to play for might mean we lose both matches, but I don't think that it's going to be, you know, I don't think that we're going to, Newcastle are going to play like Southampton have been in the last few weeks. So I think there's going to be a little bit more about it, especially tomorrow, last game of the season at home. The atmosphere is going to be great. The players should be playing with freedom. Uh, a lot of players it could be their last game at St James Park, or they, you know, they could be trying to play for their future. Um, to name a few, Jamal Lascelles needs to isn't certain of his future. Miguel Almiron isn't certain, um, and and there's a, a few more. Sean Longstaff is coming to the end of his contract, and the talks are ongoing. So look, there's a lot to play for still. Um, so yeah, and I think 
the way we play in these games is going to is going to give Eddie Howe a lot of, a, a lot more information than he currently has about who he wants sticking around because he'll want players that are going to you know carry out what he wants them to do regardless of what they have to play for. So yeah, I, think, I don't think we're on the beach. Um, I think tomorrow Arsenal. I think I think we've we've got a good chance again coming from Arsenal. Arsenal. I don't think we've been very good recently. Even when they were playing as lead ten men, they were struggling to hold on in that game. So, uh, and they've got a lot of defensive injuries. Uh, you know, Thomas Partey's out as well. I think it's a. I think we've got a good chance of getting something. Um, we're going to be playing with a with a, a close to a full strength eleven. Um, I'd expect Trippy and Wilson to start. I'd expect uh, the the main absentee will be Shelby and the and, and Willock in the middle of the park. But then you, you know you've got Bruno and Dolinton and and Sean Longstaff. So I don't think it's that we we're that weakened from that. Ryan Fraser might be back too. Um, so yeah, I think we've got a good chance. And I, I, you know, there's every chance we might lose both these matches. But I, I'm I'm not sitting here expecting that to happen. I think we're going to get something. I think we'll win one of the two. And I probably think we're more likely to win tomorrow night than we are against Burnley. But um, you know, but Jamie will, 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 might think that, that differently because we've we've had a good record against him last few seasons. I think Saint Maximan is probably the the best he plays against any opponent is against is against Burnley. So yeah, I just I just like to get some points. Um, but yeah, probably more likely tomorrow than, than next weekend. So although just you know. do. yeah, <laughs> I think what, everyone what on the show loves that. That Kieran Trippier loves Burnley and will score five own goals to keep us up on last day if that's what it takes. <laughs> love it yeah you mentioned you you don't think you'll lose both and i think jamie and i both have a very strong suggestion as to which one (laughs) you should win there um but uh yeah it'll be really interesting to see how you perform but i think bringing up that it's the last home game of the season is is a really interesting one i i think nobody wants to do a sad lap of honor you know so hopefully hopefully they can get something there uh jamie on the burnley side of things uh, the obvious question is, how are you feeling about your chances after today? Two late goals, um, but one hurting Everton's cause, one helping Leeds. And all of this, of course, under manager of the month in Mike Jackson, who I'm also curious if you think how the remaining matches go for you this season and what league you're in next season will dictate whether or not he's given an actual chance at the job or if this is just, you know what, you did a really good job as an interim and we'll be looking to move on uh, heading into 22-23. Uh, well, I'll start at the end now. I don't think he's got any chance of getting the job on a permanent basis, and that, I think that's correct. Um, he's done, what, two months as a manager at Tranmere and got sacked? Done two months as a manager here and done a pretty good job, but it's it's difficult to compare to what another interim manager might have done in the same circumstances. So I don't want to minimise what Mike Jackson's done. He certainly picked up the players who maybe needed the, the change of message or messenger after the Sean Dash era, but I don't think he should even be in the running um, for the job, whether we stay up or go down. I just think that's that's absolutely fanciful, and I don't think he would even expect to be to be in the running. Um, the whole relegation battle thing is just incredibly stressful. <laughs> I mean, it's easy for fans and sort of mid-table clubs to be like, oh, it must be quite nice to have something to play for at the end of the season. It's not. It's not nice. It's horrible. It's horrible <laughs> and I hate it. It's so terrible. 
the worst thing is you're not even just stressed out watching your own team. You now have to be stressed out watching Leeds and watching Everton and watching teams that are about to play Leeds and Everton to see if they're actually still trying. Um, it's just, yeah, it's, it's absolutely horrible. And I almost wish we'd been relegated a month ago, like Norwich or Watford, and it was just done. Um, yeah, I think it's it's still obviously all to play for and it's in our hands, which is the nicest thing you can say about the situation. Obviously, the, the equaliser for Leeds was a bit of a killer today, but the way someone put it on, on Twitter that I saw earlier was that if Leeds had scored first and then Brighton had got the last-minute equaliser, we'd be buzzing about that. Um, so it's just the, the context that they got the point late rather than it had been two taken off them if it had been the other way around. So, um, And I think the way that we played today gives us hope as well. I think, obviously, we've talked about the, the penalty it coming right at the end of the first half as well. I think the second half performance was really, really good. Um, so I think the, there's been positive signs that we could have certainly got a result if it if that decision hadn't gone against us. And then if we've got that point, we still like the relegation zone. So it should have, would have, could have. But the performance levels, apart from the game last week against Villa, which was a real low point, have been very good under Jackson. So I think if we can repeat that over the next two games, then, then we've got a chance and we can't really worry too much about what other teams are doing. Um, certainly internally, I hope they're not worrying about those other teams quite as much as I am because if they are, that's going to be very distracting because I don't think I'm going to get any work done at all over the next week. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's pretty brutal. And, you know, I've been like messaging you every week as your matches are going on. It is uh, high entertainment, but also just terrifying just because I want you on the show next year. I cannot imagine what it's like going through in person. Yeah, I mean, no. That's the most important thing in the whole thing, right? It's like I agree. The show next season. Yeah, you get it. Um, also, it must be just absolutely brutal how many times Cornet could have basically sealed your safety. Like his chance today against an illness battled Hugo Lloris a couple of weeks. Was it the Norwich match where he missed so one? Down, they had a penalty, yeah, and then Norwich, he missed the third. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think I said after one of those earlier in the season, it's all very well saying like Corner's missed this chance, he didn't score this penalty, but earlier in the season when he was on fire and firing in worldy goals every week it seemed at the time. I think you take the rough with the smooth with a player like Maxwell Corner. Sometimes he's gonna be a bit off and unpredictable and mercurial and all these other fancy words that people use about foreign players that they wouldn't use about English ones. Um I think overall he's had a really good season and we've been grateful for him to to really keep us above the our heads above water at times. He's been a real shining light. So I'm all to complain about him. And realistically today we had that one really good chance for Corne. Barnes hits the post. So yeah, obviously Spurs had more chances than us, but we had our own openings. I just think it's difficult to say if Corne had taken these chances, then we'd have had all these extra points because every team that we've played has had similar chances. So it's dangerous to start thinking about it like that. But I think it's more positive that we are creating these opportunities. We had so many games earlier in the season where we were just losing and having next to nothing to show for it. So the fact that we can go to Spurs, who... um, under Antonio Conte, they have been reasonably defensively solid. I think that's right in saying. 
and still create one golden chance. And it, I thought it was a really good save actually from Larice as much as a as a poor finish. I think it's good goalkeeping. And we've hit the post. If that shot's a few inches the other way, it goes in. Maybe we get a point that way. So I think performance levels have been good enough. We just need to repeat that Thursday night against Villa and then um, just give the ball to Kieran Trippier and watch him score some own goals on Sunday. Yep, we'll certainly see how all of that goes. I figure we'll wrap up here with match previews. Thomas, we'll start off with you. <laughs> you mentioned it earlier, facing Liverpool. I assume uh, there's not too much hope heading into that one. No, but it will be interesting to see how things play out, whether Liverpool can can beat Southampton, um, you know, to, to make it a, a dead rubber. Because if obviously if, if Liverpool, you would have thought, if, even if they fail to win, even if it's a draw, maybe they might be starting to look ahead to that, that Champions League final and, and rest in a few players. Um, because even, I think even a draw, the goal difference would make it very tough. Um so, yeah, so it'll be interesting to see what, what the state of the Liverpool team is by the time they get to that fixture. Clearly, they'll be the favourites. Um, but sometimes, you know, the, when you've got a game like this, it can focus can focus players and, and you get a, a good performance out of them. So I would hope that Wolves would go there motivated to, to go on and put a good performance on and give a good account of themselves and not just be steamrolled. Um, but obviously recent evidence suggests that we're, we're perhaps not capable of the kind of performance we were at the turn of the year where we frustrated Man City and Liverpool for really long periods and had a good say in those games. So, yeah, I'm expecting a defeat. Um, but the manner of the, you know, the, the, the magnitude, if you like, of the challenge will, will be determined on what, what Liverpool have riding on that game. Because if the title is still on, then they'll, they'll be going hell for leather, won't they? Um, but if, if it's not, then it will probably go the other way and they'll be looking ahead to, to Real Madrid. So, yeah, interesting one. I'm, I'm looking forward to watching it, um, even if we do get steamroller, because there's, there's nothing, really, nothing really massive on it for Wolves. So I'll just sit back and enjoy that and... Um, yeah, I mean, the ideal scenario for me would be that Liverpool need to win, you know, and they, they can win the title and we just stop them doing it just because, you know, that'd be funny. And also, I, uh, you know, I, I don't like teams winning everything. I, don't, I, I was watching that FA Cup final yesterday and I just wanted Chelsea to win on the basis that I don't want any team to win all the trophies. I don't like these teams that have success fatigue. And, uh, yeah, you get that shot of the crowd and some of the smug-looking fans. That's just the same. You know, I'd be the same if Wolves won everything. But, uh, but yeah, um, hopefully hopefully we do something. And, um, you know, but I, I'm, I'm expecting defeat, yeah. Gotcha. And, Jake, we kind of alluded to it earlier. Me and Jamie really need some help here. I don't know if, like, shooting you some PayPal money or something would help with this one. But uh, any chance of the win? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I hope so. I think that Arsenal have got a few injuries. Um, I th- even before, you know, the Tottenham game, I don't think they, I hadn't thought they'd been playing that well. Um, I thought they were a little bit fortunate against Leeds, even though they were against ten men. Uh, the second half in particular, they really struggled to hold on to that. Um, and yeah, I just and, and the way they sort of fell apart on Thursday night too. You know, some of those players will be tired. They've got a small squad. Um, they're not conditioned to be playing every three days like uh, uh, the rest of the teams that have played in Europe this season. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how it goes. I think so doing far could be a great atmosphere, as it has been um, all throughout this calendar year, really. Uh, I think um, Trippier and Wilson back is going to give a, a little bit of impetus, uh, a little bit of fresh look. Um, 
and yeah, I think it's uh, night games and six weeks are always really good. I think it'll be bouncing. I think that it's going to be. I think the fact that Arsenal have got such a young squad, they haven't finished in the Champions League before. At least this this sort of this sort of version of Arsenal haven't. Um, and to be going to play in that atmosphere with all the pressure on you needing to win, I think I think they're going to struggle. I think they are going to struggle, and I think that. I'm going to say we're going to win. I'm going to say 2-1. Um, and yeah, Wilson to get on the score sheet. Cause I, I just think that... I just think they're going to struggle. Not, not, they're, they're so inexperienced and they've not been through this. Like, they would have been much... If they'd have drawn the North London Derby, that would have been the best thing for them because there'd be no pressure on them, really. They just needed one more win to secure it. But now, yeah, it's... Yeah, I can't see it. I, I, think, they're going to, I think they're going to crumble and I think that we're going to win tomorrow night. Love it. Very, very, very much. <laughs> then, Jamie, you're going to be visiting Aston Villa. I mean, you you got to get the point somewhere, right? This is it. And it's, it's two games where I think the best thing you can say is that neither team is, is really fighting for, for anything in particular. Obviously, Jake's talked about it, Newcastle have got their own motivations in terms of players fighting for their future and stuff, but it's not like they need a win to to qualify for anything. It's not like Villa need a win to stay up or these are teams that are fighting for ninth or fourteenth in the table. It's it's the, the motivation's completely different. Um the flip side is that we just played Villa last week and they took us apart at Turf Moor. So it's difficult to be that optimistic about it. I think it's always quite interesting when you play the team twice in quick succession and the way that the fixtures has come with one of them being rescheduled from I think it was over Christmas time because COVID I assume uh, remember COVID so I think it's always interesting to see how the managers adapt to playing the same team again straight afterwards what they'll change what the tweak is if there's any sort of then second guessing or double bluffing um, what Probably the most important thing for us is if we can get players fit. We have eight players missing for the Spurs game on Sunday, which is just decimated our squad, really. Both centre-backs out, a couple of strikers out, midfielders out. <laughs> All areas of the pitch have got players missing. Of the eight players, you'd probably say five would be starters. So it's just very, very difficult for us. They used... The back five at Spurs almost out of necessity. I don't think it was a, a change that we would have made if we had more players available. It was a case of warm bodies that we could put out on the pitch. So, uh, yeah, it's 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 going to be tricky, and obviously, there's so much pressure on both matches. All we can hope for is that we produce a performance that is of a high enough standard to to give us a chance, because the Villa game at home was. A long way off that. Certainly, the worst we played under Jackson, and a contender for the worst we played all season, really. So, yeah, fingers crossed. But if we play like we did against Villa and Villa play like they did against us, can't be too hopeful about that one. I think it is inevitable. It's going to go down to the last day now. Gotcha. And then that last day is two of you <laughs> with Burley playing Newcastle. I don't think we should project too far out there, but uh, I think we've made our opinions on what we'd like to happen quite clear here. But we will <laughs> leave the show there. If you guys would like to tell folks where they can find you or anything you're working on, that would be a great time. 
Hi everybody, yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, as always, you can find me at uh, wallsblog.com if you're a fan of blogs and traditional printed articles. <laughs> or you can, Twitter's more your thing, you can get us on Twitter at wallsblog, or if you're old school and you like Facebook, then you can uh, go on to facebook.com forward slash wallsblog. Yeah, thanks for listening. Uh, you can get me on Twitter at Jake Jackman with two ends and anything I'm a part of, I'll post on that. Yeah, I'm also on Twitter at Jamie Smith Sport, but also like traditional printed material like Thomas. <laughs> I write an edit the No One Ain't Ever newsletter, which is free on Substack. That goes out every Monday, and I'll post a link on Twitter as well so you can get it through there. Yep, thanks so much to you three for coming on today. Obviously, go check all of the stuff that they plugged out. I'm Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter at Kevroff. You can find the show at EPL Roundtable, both on Twitter and in all of your podcast platform things. Uh, but again, thanks again to them and folks at home. We hope you keep listening. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Jesse Cruikshank. Jesse Cruikshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout. Because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.